You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. So on Monday, I made a few decisions, a little life-altering. You know, could have had a much different Monday night. First, I decided to chaperone a field trip for my son. You know, 14 years old, 8th grade, they were doing this thing. And I was like, ah, I'm going to go with, spend time with them. You know, you don't get these years back again. Then a nearby spot here on the south side was doing dinosaur bone ribs, which is essentially like the entire cow rib. And they were smoking them all day long. And I saw the social media post and I was like, I'm going to do that today as well for dinner. Brought the whole family out. But the problem with that was that I couldn't finish my recording and production of Socks in the Basement until the evening hours. And I have to get the show out ready for you when you wake up on Tuesday morning. So at 8 p.m., when I got a video text message from Cork and Carey at the park with White Sox pitcher Joe Kelly sitting at the bar saying, come on down and hang out. I couldn't go or you wouldn't have a show today. So as you listen to this 30-minute episode, I want you to understand the sacrifice that I made for you to get it because I could have been out drinking with Joe Kelly on Monday night. That's how much I love you and also how stupid I am. So belly on up to the 9-foot homemade oak bar, pour yourself a cold one. My name is Chris. His name is Ed. Socks in the basement, 30 minutes of socks, for fans, by fans, and it's all brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. They were named last year one of the Daily South Town's best, and they continue to do great work on anything from bowing walls, window wells, foundation, and crack repair. If you need to fix the concrete around your home, sump pumps, gutter cleaning, you name it, they do it. Keep water out of your home. Protect your foundation. Family and veteran owned and operated since they started in 2013. 24-7, 24-7, give them a call, 708-330-4466. Mention Socks in the Basement. You get money off. See what a difference a family makes at FamilyDry.com. I want to talk a little bit about fandom and the passion of being a fan, Ed. The passion of the fandom? Yeah, well, I mean, something happened to me today before we sat down that it it struck me and then it just, my brain started whirring and making noises and going off in different directions. And, and I think it's a great way to encapsulate not only the beginning of the season, but this weekend in New York that the White Sox just went through. It's the emotional response to sport. You, you will have people that will sit there and tell you it's all just numbers, that there's no such thing as momentum, that, Emotion means nothing, that they, they want to be robotic and they want to tell you that those things don't matter. And it does matter. And I think if you're a fan, that's why you, you get angry when you see ridiculous lineups and your manager doing negative things that likely, very likely cause some losses early on this season. He has, he has had a negative impact on his team. You, you get excited when you see something like what I saw today when I was flipping through Facebook, doing some social media stuff for the, the podcast network, and I saw a memory pop up, and it was just a friend of mine tagging me in a video of Scott Pasednik's walk-off home run in 2005, and I watched it 12 times, and I had a tear in my left eye. 
and I had that that tingle feeling and it was so long ago, but I can remember everything that was going on at that moment where I was standing, who I was with, who I hugged in, what order I hugged them in, how I felt afterwards, everything. It still resonates with me years and years and years later. I I can't help myself. I go back and rewind it and watch it again. I got stuck. I spent 15 minutes just watching it over and over again. That's fandom. That's passion in sports. And as much as these guys get paid a ton of money and it's their job, passion sometimes creeps in and, and, and emotion and anger. And I saw the White Sox come together this weekend, and that's my point. After what happened with Josh Donaldson and Tim Anderson, and very simply put, if Tim Anderson's offended, and if I as a white guy would think to myself, would I say that to a black guy who I didn't get along with? And I go, no, no, if I said that out loud, that would be wrong. That's all we need. That's all we need here to prove to ourselves that Josh Donaldson is trash. And the only people who don't think he's trash are the mouth-breathing Yankee fans who live in a little bubble where they don't know anything about the teams that they play because Yankees, 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 27 championships, even though they really haven't won that many over the last 20 years. Yankee, 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 Yankee. Okay, they really don't matter. I don't know why people engage them on Twitter. They're idiots. But after that incident, to watch the way the White Sox came out and played the next day in that doubleheader and to watch Tony LaRusso's lineups, in my opinion, that was the best doubleheader set of lineups he had put together. He did not punt those games, Ed. No, well, and you know how you can tell that you're you're talking about that that fandom, right? That passion is everything that you described, all those memories, the tear in your eye, the tingling, the feels, remembering who you were with, who you hugged. If you hadn't said it was about baseball it could have been about a funeral it could have been about a wedding it could have been about losing your virginity and all of that description would have applied and in every single one of those situations you wouldn't want josh donaldson with you so how much i cried and who i hugged yeah it probably probably applies everything that's probably true right (laughs) but i get your point though he had punted on double headers before where he had given up one game with the triple a quadruple a lineup playing all the backups but he made intelligent choices when it came to that Yankees doubleheader, and he supported two pitchers who are right now two of his best pitchers, right? And he made sure that they had a chance to go out and beat Nestor Cortez and go out and beat Luis Severino and go and take care of business in those games because he wanted to make sure that they actually won they needed those games they had the Yankees on the rope the team had a clear mission to rub it in their faces after what happened on Saturday the fact that Tim Anderson had to not just be restrained but had to be picked up by two large burly first basemen but those guys basically picked him up and carried him into the dugout it was reminiscent of Rick Vaughn being carried off of the field in major league right you see your teammate that upset And the fact that what really sparked that bench-clearing brawl was Yasmani Grandal not even letting Donaldson get to the plate before he just started lecturing him. No, he didn't lecture him. He stood over him and put his face right up to his ear. He talked to him like you talk to a guy that you want to throw a punch at you. That's what Yasmani Grandal was doing. Oh, yeah. You're right. You're right. Because La La Russa was lecturing 
as yeah. they're trying to push Tony back, which doesn't take a whole no, hell of a lot no. these days. Yasmani Grandal was emasculating Josh Donaldson at home plate, the way he was standing over him. That's like when you're in a yeah. bar and you want to start the fight, that's how you stand. You that you know, the, the posture of Grandal was basically like, I'm gonna tell you what you are. And I'm going to keep saying it in the hopes that you get so upset and frustrated, you swing first because I want to fight you. Like, that's how that felt. I've watched it over and over again. That's how it felt. And, and the thing is, before we go any further into this, anybody who's yelling, well, he didn't start his best lineups. You don't understand. In Tony's mind, he did. Leary Garcia is the starting second baseman. If you don't agree with that, I'm sorry. We've already gone into this. He's the starting second baseman. Reese McGuire starts more games behind the plate than Yasmati Grandal, and it was a doubleheader, so he was going to at least catch for one of the games, all right? I mean, he, he hasn't figured out that A.J. Pollock is hitting over 400 for his last seven games and is red hot with an OPS over 1,200 during that time, or maybe he would have played in both games. I, I don't know, but Tony Tony's not on the same wavelength as the rest of us watching the team. In Tony's mind... Those were his best lineups he could run out there with the exception of, I don't know why Tim Anderson didn't play both games. Maybe he thought something was going to happen in game one and he didn't even want him on the field in case one of his players decided to take it under their, you know, under their own volition to, to issue some kind of response or whatever it was. He decided not to start him in that first game. TA got the last word at the end of the second game, but that was, those were Tony's best lineups. And, and also Michael Kopech, let's, let's just, Think about what he said after the game, if you watched it on ESPN game two, and while he was being interviewed by an ESPN talking head, like every other ESPN talking head that you can tell when they're interviewing a White Sox player, they don't watch any White Sox games. Like a producer has to remind them, this is how you pronounce Kopech before he talks to him. Like that's how it feels. We're talking to Mickey Coppett. Right. They, they're not really sure who they're talking to. They don't know very much about the team. It's kind of insulting. You can tell the White Sox players are like, how could you even ask me this? Have you ever seen any of our games? Like you get these weird off the wall questions that don't make any sense. They would never do that with the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Red Sox, because they watch them all the time up there. They really don't have the White Sox on all the TVs. But Michael Kopech saying that was the most focused I've ever been. Like Michael Kopech, you can tell in his comments not only was he focused, but he also, he said something like, it's important for me to be on the mound. And when I'm not that way, I don't pitch very well. Michael Kopech has a little bit of a focus problem, it seems to me, but he was laser focused in that game because he wanted to kick the Yankees collective asses right there in Yankee Stadium. And he showed it the way he pitched in that second game. That was a laser focused team for two games. Now it's up to their manager to keep that going into the Boston series and through the weekend with the Cubs and on to win after win after win and let's climb up and catch the Twins. Because if you don't, if this doesn't light a fire under your butts and start off some sort of a run where you have far more wins than losses and you're still sitting at 500 in two weeks, I don't know how you ever wake up the White Sox. Socks in the basement listeners, do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South Side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. 
a 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota, and one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. On the line with me right now from Socks on 35th, he's been on here before, Nick Gower is on the line. How are you, Nick? Hey, Chris, I'm doing great. Thanks. How are you? Good, good. You wrote an article about TA. I thought it was perfect. Uh, you know, you can get into the whole thing with Josh Donaldson. You can you can kind of wade through that mess over the weekend. Or you can bring up why Tim Anderson is so damn good. And I love this because White Sox fans on social media can respond to anything that a Yankee fan puts out right now about Tim Anderson not being that good of a player, not only with he won a batting championship, he's hitting over 350 this year, he's one of the top players in war, wins above replacement right now when you look at the chart in Major League Baseball, but you went in depth into all the things that T.A. is doing, and he's actually getting better, right? Tell me about that. Yeah, exactly. So, obviously, Tim Anderson has been this level of an elite player since 2019, as we all know. But one of my favorite things about him is that every year he seems to add something new to his game that we didn't necessarily see coming. Whereas in 2020, it was that he hit for more power. In 2021, his defense was much more consistent. And then this year, it's kind of just everything. But the biggest thing this year, and the biggest reason he's been somewhat better, in my opinion, is that his strikeout rate has gotten so low. He's only striking out 11% of the time, which for context, he would strike out about 22% of the time the last three years. And the MLB average is 22.5%. So he strikes out half as often as the average MLB player. And because of that, he just has so many chances to put the ball in play. And we all know with Tim Anderson, when he puts the ball in play, good things happen. So he's really just maximizing his chances to have more positive results. And we're seeing those results play out. Yeah, he's the exception to the rule of something we've been talking about with the team's offense since the season really began, where he can actually go for first pitch and swing a lot in his at-bats and he still gets good results. He's not striking out a lot, where most guys should really be a little bit more patient. And when we see patience, we've seen a lot of players who struggled early on, now that they're employing a little bit of patience at the plate, starting to come out of the funk that caused a lot of the problems for the White Sox offense early on. But Tim doesn't seem to need to worry about that, does he? No, no. Anderson and, and Robert, I would say, are the two players on the White Sox where you let them do whatever they want. In terms of approach, they want to swing first pitch, you let them if they end up, you know, grounding on the first pitch every now and then, that's something you live with because it's worth it in the long run because more, more often than not, they're doing damage early in counts and you want them to be aggressive like that. And with Anderson in particular, I think this past week was interesting for him because he took three walks this week, which for him is, you know, quite a lot. But at the same time, you still see him being aggressive early in counts. I think the Yankees try to pitch him a, little, a bit more cautiously seeing how the season has been going so far. And even then, he's starting to lay off the first pitch pass while outside and counter-adjust by waiting later in the count. So I, I really think he's just a smart hitter. He knows how pitchers are attacking him. And now that they're starting to be a little more cautious earlier in the count, he's being a little more patient. But overall, when I get the first pitch pass ball down the middle, he's still swinging at it, which is good. And that's what he should do. He understands how pitchers are attacking him. So when he sees somebody working the outside, instead of trying to yank something and pull it, 
He's going oppo. He's going wherever the pitch is. That home run in that last game of the Yankees series, the the second game of the doubleheader where he hushes the crowd, and it was a big home run, a big moment for him, a big moment, I think, for the White Sox, too, because now you're up 5 nothing, and it was like a it was like a we're walking out of town here with our heads up no matter how this series began with the Yankees but he goes outside and gets one and he had no intention of doing anything with that baseball except hitting it towards right field as hard as he could exactly yes he's not trying to hit home runs necessarily he's just taking the pitch where it's thrown and he he goes opposite field so often that you would think oh why don't teams you know pitch him differently and try to get him to pull something and maybe get him out in front. But the thing is, they do that. I think in the Royals series earlier in that week, um, he had an RBI single that he pulled the left field on the first pitch because he anticipated that they were going to stop pitching him that way and they would try to get him to go um, inside, which which he took. I mean, he'll take the single if you're going to give it to him, and that's probably one of the best his best qualities. He he's, he's not trying to hit home runs. He's not trying to do anything other than just take the ball exactly where it's placed and hit it in that direction. Nick Gar from Sox on 35th on the line with us right now. Uh, he and every guest on Socks in the Basement brought to you by the Village of Lamont. Want to experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks, and green spaces filled with adventures? Get your butt to Lamont. Shop, dine, drink, explore. They have so much to offer coming up very soon, Wednesday, the 1st of June, starting at 6 p.m., going until 9. Their first car show of the season, Lamont Legends Cruise Nights fueled by Sitco. Get details on that event and everything going on in Lamont. Visit lamontdowntown.com. Part of your article, Nick, uh, you jumped into some stats. I I love when, when people take a deep dive into some of the metrics, but not everybody can follow the metrics. So if somebody goes and checks out your article on SoxOn35th.com, it's titled Tim Anderson Just Keeps Getting Better, just out here at the beginning of the week you get into BAPIP. So can you explain BAPIP and then kind of break down for us why a guy who's hitting 359 here as the week begins in Tim Anderson, you think that he's going to continue to hit well. If not 359, he's going to have a big season this year at the plate. Yeah, so BABIP, which is an acronym for batting average on ball in play, is basically just a way of quantifying when a player hits the ball and puts it in the field of play. So not a home run. That does not count as a ball in play. And obviously not a strikeout, not a walk. How often is that going for a hit? And usually it varies by the year, but usually the league average bat is in like the 290 to 300 um, range. And the thing with Anderson is that for the last now four years, including this one, he always has an abnormally high bat. And some, um, I guess, stat nerds, for lack of a better term, try to use that against him and say, oh, well, he's due for regression. He can't keep this up. They, they don't really say that anymore, but they did, you know, years ago. But the best predictor of future BABIP is past BABIP, really, for a hitter. And Anderson always had BABIPs in, like, you know, the 370s, 380s. So the fact that his BABIP right now is um, 382, to be precise, that's really not out of, the, out of the ordinary for him. I mean, it was 399 in 2019. It was 383 in 2020. Like, a 382 BABIP for Anderson is... It is normal. And the fact that he's in 359 right now is because of the fact that he's not striking out anymore. When you don't strike out and you're so good at getting hits when the ball is in play, your batting average is going to skyrocket. So again, that doesn't mean he's going to hit 359 all season. It's more likely than not that he'll start striking at least a little bit more than he has so far. But even then, I think that he should be able to have the best year of his career where 
he could hit over 340, let's say, just because his bad is so high because, like we've been talking about, he hits the ball exactly where the pitch is given. And if he keeps doing that and he keeps striking out so infrequently, then I think he will hit probably above 340 if this keeps up. Would that indicate, it seems to me that it would indicate, that he does something that you'll have a lot of uh, old-school baseball fans say, why don't guys hit where they're not? When you see a shift, why aren't they just putting it to the other side of the field? Why can't they hit into that gap? Why can't they aim where the baseball's going to go? And you'll have other fans going, well, that's impossible. But there are players that are capable of doing that. I would think with that stat always being high, Tim Anderson's the kind of guy that could see a hole off to the right side, say they're working the outside, so now I'm going to go put the ball right there in that open space. Is that what that shows? Yeah, pretty much. I think there are two reasons, at least to me, why Anderson always has such a high habit. One of them is, as you just said, he gets the ball where the fielders are not, especially opposite field. Uh, you find that opposite field batted balls tend to have higher bats than balls that are pulled or hit to center. So that's one big reason. Another, and this is actually also kind of similar, is just his hands. He has such quick hands at the plate, uh, which obviously enable him to hit the ball wherever he wants it to, wherever he wants it to go. So as a result, between having quick hands and hitting the opposite field so often, that's like a perfect recipe for having a high batter. And of course, there are other ways too. You can just hit the crap out of the ball like Aaron Judge does. And Judge always has like a 360-ish batter himself. But with Anderson, the reason it's so sustainable is just because of his hands and because of like we've been saying this whole time, how smart he is as a hitter, knowing where to hit the ball. And ideally, you want the whole team to be having that approach, but not everyone has Anderson's bat speed or his hands, so it's just really difficult to do if you're not Tim Anderson. All right, so now I'm going to ask you a question that might not be popular. As we finish things off with Nick Gar from SoxOn35th.com, based upon the way that he doesn't strike out and his BABIP, is he in the right spot in the one spot? Like, I love him as my leadoff hitter. Me, I I wouldn't move him because he's so comfortable there. But is he in the right spot based upon what he's able to do, or would he be more effective somewhere else? Yeah, well, first of all, I would say that I agree with you in the sense that I would not move him just because having him in the one spot is just a quintessential, like, White Sox, South Side thing now. The way that he gets the team going, he brings so much energy at the top of the order. So for that alone, I wouldn't move him. But answering the question more objectively, I do think in an ideal lineup, someone like Anderson would hit, like, Honestly, like second or maybe maybe even cleanup. I don't just for that much power, but having like a 350 hitter in the cleanup spot with runners on base sounds pretty great. However, I don't mind him being at one for the reasons I said. And also, especially when Jimenez gets back, this is a deep lineup where you'll have, you know, like Andrew Vaughn or AJ Pollock batting eight a lot of the time when they're healthy. So ideally, there will be enough runners on base too. Having Anderson bat lead off, you have opportunities to, to drag runners in. However, overall, I, I definitely am of the belief that you should give your best hitters the most played appearances. So having some combination of, you know, Anderson, uh, Robert, et cetera, one, two, or one, two, three, that is ideal. So I don't really have a problem with how they do it. All right. Nick Gar writes for SoxOn35th.com. Check out his latest article explaining how Tim Anderson continues to find new ways to get better. We touched on some of the article. There's more in there. It's good stuff. So check it out. Keep up the good work, Nick, and maybe eventually uh, some of this uh, actual fact about how good Tim Anderson is will make its way into Yankee fans' minds, even. Uh, people that that just don't <laughs> seem to even know who he is, but based upon what I saw on social media. Like, who's this guy? He's not that good. It's like they don't know, no matter how many walk-off home runs and big hits he gets against them. That, that was the craziest part to me. Like, 
the people that are coming after him for his on the field play is just like you're kind of telling on yourself that you just don't know baseball at that point. <laughs> This past weekend, I made my way to Hailstorm Brewing Company in Tinley Park, the official brewery of Sox in the basement. They are at 8060, 186th Street, right off of 80th Avenue in Tinley. Highly acclaimed new brewer, Will Turner, is there now, and he's got a bunch of new beers up on tap. Plus, he's got the old favorites up there. They have a huge tap room, a big outdoor patio fire pit out there for the chilly evenings, live music on the weekends, trivia nights, and everything else you could expect from a great brewery on the south side. Couple of new ones out this summer, their big beautiful wheat, their strawberry summer. I tried the Primo Mexican Lager. That's the kind of beer you get on a hot summer day, man. Follow them on Facebook, look them up at Hailstorm Brewing Company, and get more information at hailstormbrewing.com. Johnny Cueto's everything that you you dream Johnny Cueto was going to be. There's a, there's an article on ESPN that literally Dallas Keuchel is quoted saying that Johnny Cueto is everything he wants to see in a pitcher. Yeah, you know. Well, geez, <laughs> Dallas, do yeah, it yourself. Right. Yeah, maybe you should go to Johnny and talk to him about how he does that little shimmy and then like throws off timing and changes the way he throws. Maybe this is what you need to do to get your career uh, back on track here in the, in the later stages of it. Look, Johnny Cueto... I, I I spoke about him a little bit on this show when the White Sox signed him to that deal. And I said, this could be a real diamond in the rough because I, I follow Johnny Cueto's career closely because of our, our Dynasty Fantasy League. I'll be honest, I'll nerd out on you, but he, he's been on the roster for, for several years. And I, I dumped him when he had the surgery a few years back because I was like, I don't have time for a guy that's in his mid-30s and it's going to take him two years to get better. But I've always kept an eye on him because when guys come out of, you know, surgeries like he had, it, it takes them a little bit of time to get back to what they are. And this would have been around the time that if he if he was going to revert back in some way, this would be the timeline for it. And it's surprising to me that nobody else in Major League Baseball saw that. Maybe because of the way that the lockout went, he just kind of slid under the radar. But this is a slick move by Rick Hahn bringing him in because Look, he he did it the first time against the Royals. Sure, he did it the second time in Yankee Stadium in a highly charged atmosphere, and he just went out there and was a star. If you're if you're going to get that from Johnny Cueto as the year goes on, I I now just sit back and say, put together a good lineup, let players play, get AJ Pollock in there when he's red hot. Don't rest him at all. You know, find where everybody should be lined up, and let's go win some baseball games because you have enough pitching. And you you have you have the right players. Just use it correctly. You know that that's all I want you to do. I also am on kind of a like a when does Larry Garcia get traded? Like watch. I believe that now, Ed. I've decided that Rick Hahn at some point is going to just really? be like, oh yeah, I do. I think Rick Hahn at some point is going to do like the Billy Bean thing, where he finds a deal that includes Garcia. Like this is a multiplayer deal, and he takes away Tony's favorite toy, and in return. He's got a new plan for second base. I really, I, because it's got to drive him nuts. He was batting in the two hole. Like, uh, it, like I said, in Tony's mind, those are the best two lineups that he could possibly send out there in that doubleheader. He wanted to win those games. He was angry. You saw him after the game with the TA uh, Donaldson thing. He was oh, angry. Yeah, he is. That, that was as mad as I've ever seen right. him. That's old man anger right there. Okay. That's old man anger. 
Whenever you see an old man that's angry, they're fuming, they're angry, and they're also angry that they're not young enough to go over there and start a fist fight themselves, and they're like, man, back in my day, I'd take a chair to Josh Donaldson. Like, that's how he feels right now. Like, he's just angry. And in his most angry state, trying to win both games, he bats Larry Garcia second. Okay, so it's a crutch. Well, yeah. The guy's guy's not only hitting in the 190s right now, but over the last seven games, he's hitting worse than that. He's hitting 180 over his last seven. Like, he's not even on a hot streak. He's not even showing signs of life. He is what he is, and he bats him second in that game. So you can tell Tony wanted to win, and Tony still continues to misevaluate that player, who would be a nice utility player on any contending team if he was used sparingly as a guy that fills in, not a guy who plays seven days a week. Okay? And so I think that at some point, Rick Hahn's going to have to take the crutch away. Because he, there's no way Rick Hahn wants to see him butcher second base defensively and get batted in, in some weird part of the lineup in game three of a series in the postseason. That's that's Rick Hahn's nightmare right now. How many times do I have to watch Lear? I mean, it happened in that game, okay? You're, you, you had Moncada do that bunt where he ends up on second base because of the shift, right? Which was awesome. Right. You, want, you got momentum. You're ready to take him. And who comes up? Murray. Okay? That, that, that inning where Tim Anderson... You know, hits the home run in game in, in in game two, and they break it all open. They had to do it in spite of Lurie. Now it was a hard hit ball, but this is just the way that he hits. He's just not that guy. He's not that guy in that big situation. I mean, yes, he hit a home run yeah, in the postseason. Contractually, he actually his spot in the lineup comes up every time they have runners in scoring position and two outs. <laughs> he's always there. If you notice that he's, he's hitting second, but then all of a sudden it'll be the sixth place hitter, and there's Lurie because they have runners at first and second and two outs. <laughs> They just change the rules. It's like, it feels like he's always up. Him and Reese McGuire, they always seem like they're up in big situations. Like when Reese McGuire got that hit in game two in Yankee Stadium, I was to bring him the double digits and total bases for the year, right. by the way. He came up and he, I was, I was looking at it. And I was like, oh my gosh, he's already got two hits in this game. He's not getting a third hit. This would be Reese McGuire's greatest game ever. And then he did it. And I was like, that's it. That's it. End it right here. Don't send him out there anymore. He's never going to do better than this. It's like how they didn't send Sebi Zavala down last year after the multi-home run game. Right. That was the peak. He's a cult hero. Trade him. <laughs> yeah. Look, it was it was cute. Remember, like, Paul Canerico after 05 was going into a contract year, and he gives the baseball to Jerry Reinsdorf, and Jerry's like, I'm, yeah. pay, I'm paying that young man whatever he wants to. Like, he was keeping Paulie forever, right? The, the Just the adrenaline, the emotion. But Paul Canerico was a good player. Larry Garcia had a home run in a playoff series that you lost where the rest of the team scored a bunch of runs too, and he got three years and $16 million to be your starting second baseman and jack-of-all-trades that plays seven days a week. How would the Dodgers feel about, say, Larry and Dallas Keuchel for Gavin Lux? Can we play a little fantasy baseball and and make them feel like that's worth something? No, they're not going to do that. They're not going to do it. Now you're throwing in Dallas too? You'd be, you know what you would be? You'd be the devil if you could pull that off. Okay, only, <laughs> only the devil. The devil could be the only one that pulls it off because God would feel bad if he did it. All right? So right. Only, no, that's only, a, you're right. Only the devil could put that trade off. If Rick Hahn pulls that trade off, he's the devil. Only the Sith speak in such absolutes. <laughs> Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.